Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Byrne, and today I'm joined by Franco Sullivan, an Irish immigrant to Birmingham who's been steeped in boxing his entire life. Frank has spent 65 years coaching young fighters and dedicating himself to bettering their lives. This is a man so dedicated to his boxers that he was late for his own wedding to Anita because he stopped by the gym to check on two young lads. An amateur boxing stalwart, Frank is still going strong today at the age of 84. And earlier this summer in Tokyo came the ultimate accolade as his boxer, Galal Yafai, won the Olympic gold medal for Great Britain. Frank, welcome to the show, and thank you for giving us your time. I know the gym is flying right now. Oh, yes. Uh, we've a lot of youngsters coming through, um, a lot of talent amongst them, thankfully. And, uh, and, of course, our thing in the past has always been yesterday's men, today's men, and tomorrow's men. And at the moment, we're working on some of yesterday's men, and, and of course, Tomorrow's men at the moment. Yeah, I. It, which which ones take up most of your time, most of your energy? The new, the new. There's more work going into kind of kids who don't know what they're doing when they come into the gym. I suppose that's exactly it's uh, you know. But we've got a good system, and 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 I've got some good helpers. So in that respect things are moving in the right direction. Yeah. And of course, most of the people who are involved with me are ex-boxers from our club anyway, you know, so um, we all speak the same language. Absolutely. Frank, uh, what a summer of success for you and for your club, but like for the Yafoy family, for everybody associated with Birmingham City Boxing Club. Yes, it is like, you know, um, you see, bearing in mind, the oldest Yafai brother, he became, uh, for England, he became the first world junior champion. Um, and then he followed on by winning a world title in the professional ranks. Um, and, you know, that was the first for Birmingham in, in over 100 years, like, you know. Um the other middle boxer, uh, Gamal, um, he boxed for GB, was medalled at the European Championships, and uh, he 
was a European champion as well as like, you know, in the professional. Yeah. And then, but you've been coaching boxers a long time, 65 years and still going strong. But to have an Olympic champion, what did that mean to you personally? Oh, it's, it's hard to describe really. Uh, because like uh, most of the time, especially in the gym situation, I'm always poker faced. And, uh, you know, even when I heard that, that expression was still there, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the feeling inside is entirely different altogether. I can, I can only imagine. Um, did you know as you watched the final that he was, he was going to have his hand raised at the end? Yes, I did. Even before the final, like I expected that, like, you know, see, um, before the Olympics at all, I had a, a, an interview with England Boxing. Uh, and, uh, you know, I predicted that we'd medal anyway, and I gave them the reasons why as well as. Um, if you sort of go on to YouTube and, and go on to England Boxing, uh, you can see that, like, you know, that, that you can see the whole of the transaction. I, I, I watched you. You laid, you laid it all out perfectly. But the Yafi family are kind of indicative of the kids you've coached down through the years. You know, they've, they come from an immigrant family. The, the kids were, you know, getting into maybe a bit of trouble in school or a bit of, a bit of trouble on the streets. Their mum sent them down to the gym to find a bit of discipline. And it's led to enormous success. For, like, they're probably the most successful sporting family in Britain at the minute. But other families maybe don't have produce lads that become Olympic and world champions, but they're, I suppose, as worthy in their own right to you, and they mean just as much. Exactly. You see, you know, irrespective of who you bring in, you'll have a certain amount that will become champs, and you'll have a certain amount that will stay champs. You know, so on that basis, like, you try to do what you can when you can. See, every year we run what we call a food, uh, a fun day. So what we do outside the gym, we um, put up bouncy castles and um, games and set up things for the kids to do outside. And then we bring parents into the gym and kids who will never box, you know, or having the ability, then we match them accordingly and we put them into um, a contest sort of situation. The only difference is that at the end of, there is no winner and we usually give them a little, uh, a little trophy at the end of, you know, and that would probably be the only thing they ever win in their life. Uh, but nevertheless, it's something that will stay with them forever and ever. And it helps boxing as well as because they know what boxing has done for them. And, uh, you know, I have people now who was in that sort of situation many years ago and they're bringing their children to me now. So yeah. it, it has its benefits in many ways. It strikes me that that sort of that sort of lifestyle, that sort of discipline and the things you can benefit through from boxing stays with people who are, you know, don't happen to win anything in the sport as well. Like they, they still remain thankful and loyal as well to, to you and an expressive of the, of what you've given them. Yeah. 
That's that's correct. Frank, uh, you grew up in Ireland. You're from Shandon Street in Cork, and you went to the Blarney Street S, uh, CBS. What do you remember from your time in the uh, in the Rebel County? A long time away now. Well, um, I was there till almost the end of the forties, uh, and and you know, and, uh, had a great time there. Really, um, I joined the Sunnyside Boxing Club, um, which was in the vicinity of Barton, you know, Blarney Street, and uh, and then you develop from there. When I came over to England, then obviously I followed through, you know. Uh, but in 1956, um, uh, I went to turn pro. Um, everybody was telling me I should be joining the pros, that my style suited the pros more so than the amateurs. And uh, because I was a, a fairly big puncher and not very tall, really, for my weight, you know. Um, and I, I went to London um, to Jack Solomon's gym with the hope of signing up with Jack Solomon's and uh, of course when I had the medical um, they discovered I had a an eye problem and uh, that was the end of boxing that was me. It. What, what was the problem? Well they they found that the um, sight in the right, right eye wasn't up to to scratch uh, to give me a professional license. You know, England boxing in them days was, was very, very strict. So if you failed a medical in, in the professional ranks, it automatically put you out of business in, within the, the amateurs. Okay. Now, I, tr- I trained at, at, a, at a place called Summer Row, and there was a guy there called Solly Cantor. Solly Cantor came over to England in the early 50s uh, and boxed for a uh, he boxed for a, a Commonwealth title um, and loved England. You know, he, he settled down there and he settled down in London. But he was running this club in Middle Row, called Middle Row. So you know, during the day I was training while I was in London. I was training with the with Solly. Um, however, um, Solly. Uh, was in the SAS for Canada during the, the latter uh, years of the war. And uh, he had a friend who lived in Birmingham called John Coles Montford, who was a school teacher. And uh, when I said I was going back to, to Birmingham, um, Solly asked me to uh, look up John for him and take a letter which I did, and I eventually found, when I eventually found John, um, he'd taken over Ladywood Community Centre part-time, you know, evening times, um, as the CEO. Um, whilst I was there, um, there was an old man called Neil Holland who was training a, a couple of young lads for the NAYCP championships. And uh, he just said to me, well, you know a little bit of boxing, son. How about helping me out and uh, giving them two lads a move around? Which I did. And uh, lo and behold, 
that's how it all began. And and how it all began that way, you know, um, the one, uh, a lad called Joe McCann, he actually won the national title. And Pat Collins, uh, uh, he actually got to the final, and that was the, the absolute beginning of the... And then uh, in 19... 19- 77, we changed the name from Ladywood to Birmingham City. And the reasons we changed the name to Birmingham City was um, the Lynch brothers, who also boxed for me, they they were Dublin lads, like, you know, Tommy, the oldest one, actually won an Irish junior title. Um, and then he boxed for the Irish guards um, for the rest of his boxing career. But after he come out of the guards, then he joined me, like, you know, uh, with one or two others from the guards. And uh, it, it just materialised from there, you know. Uh, but we changed the name to Birmingham City, the reasons being that um, Paddy, uh, one of the brothers, he actually uh, was a great Birmingham City fan. Um, and again, very, very friendly with Sir Ralph Ramsey. Uh, Sir Ralph Ramsey uh, was the in charge of, of the Birmingham City Football Club, and you know he, he actually became president of the the club as well as, and uh, he remained in that position until he passed away, unfortunately. Okay, what was uh, Sir Ralph Ramsey like? Did you get to know him? Oh, God's truth, yeah, yeah. Oh, Sir Ralph was, was, was great. Nothing at all like the person um, that you've seen on television or what you've seen around. Um, I'll give you a little story. The one night he, he came to the gym to watch the lads training, coming out with Paddy Lynch, and uh, one of the youngsters actually... Um, asked him for his, his autograph, uh, which he gave. And another lad came and, and asked for his. Uh, but we had no paper for him to, to put his autograph on. So the lad went into the toilet and got some toilet roll and asked for Ralph to do the one. And then he asked him for another one. So... um Sir Ralph, you know, said, well, is that for your friend? He said, oh, no, no, no. I'll get 50 pence for that tomorrow when, yeah. I go, when I go to school. But Sir Ralph was great, you know. What a lot of people don't know, Sir Ralph had a few amateur fights in his very young days, but boxing obviously wasn't his sport. So, you know, he followed the, the football, which, which he was good at, I believe. Had you been successful in, in your career enough? Like, did you win provincial national titles in Ireland or was, have I read it wrong? Well, oh, we did. Uh, yeah. uh, Max McCracken, Robert McCracken's brother, uh, he actually boxed Gary Hyde in the finals of the, the juniors um, way back in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he beat, he beat Gary, so he became a... You know, and then he, he joined the professional ranks, unfortunately. But more so because Robert, his brother, was, was there as well as, like, you know. 
I think Robert came to Ireland and fought a friend of mine, Steve Dawson, actually, back in the 80s at some stage as well. Yeah, uh, Robert actually boxed quite a few lads in Ireland. He he boxed Joyce, you know, uh, um, from Cork, obviously. And uh, Did you have split, bo- split loyalties? He's fighting a Cork man at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, no, the, the reasons he, he boxed a man from Cork was that... Um, Cork City uh, was 800 years old as a city, and uh, Tim O'Sullivan, who um, was secretary of the Xboxers Association, Cork, Cork Xboxers Association, um, he ran a club called Melancholic, and we actually went over there. Um, in celebration of the 800 years as a city. Uh, so we took a team over and, you know, Joyce was amongst, Joyce was amongst the team. And he, did he win? No, Robert lost to, to Joyce. Uh, was it Kieran or Gordon or which one was oh, it? Oh, Gordon. Yeah, Gordon. Gordon, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there were three, three brothers of yeah. Joyce. Uh, the one... Um, Similar name to myself, uh, Frank. He, he he was a very very good lad, like, and, and I was shocked uh, when he turned it in so early, like in his his career. It happens, yeah. Did you miss Cork while you were living in Birmingham? And uh... I did actually, and and I used to frequently go to Cork on on holiday. Now where the Joyces lived was just across the road from where my grandmother lived. In Churchfield, in Churchfield Avenue, you know, and um, <clears throat> the Joyces at that time uh, were weren't a rich family, and I, I remember them chopping up sticks and you know, um, and selling stuff, selling coal and and sticks, you know, uh, making up bundles of sticks to sell them, like you know, and. They they sort of escalated from there and went into other things like shops and, and taxis and whatever. And they built a good business up for themselves. Father was a very, very, very hardworking man. Um, the mother was um, very, very um, brainy and um, good at the paperwork where the dad wasn't like, you know. What about your own dad? Was, was, did he move to Birmingham during the war while you were li- living in Cork? Yeah, my father came over here during the war um, and, and moved down to uh, uh, Corsum, um, which is down the south area, as far as I believe. And, and he worked on, on um, building airports and stuff like that, like, you know, and then he ended up sort of working on on Birmingham airports and liked Birmingham and uh, and obviously going backwards and forwards home he decided as we got a little bit older that you know things would be better for us as most people in Cork like you know were unemployed and you know didn't have the sort of life that they would love like you know Financial is 
I think Cork during the war years was 45% of households were underneath the, pro- the poverty line, you know, so uh, yeah, that's the show. So, you know, that was one of the reasons why we, we sort of moved to Birmingham in the, in the, in the first place. Like, so you know. your whole family moved rather than when you became old enough, then you left. My mother and, and I had a brother as well as like, you know, Tim, he came. But then Tim, uh, when he was 15 years old, went back to Cork to live uh, and joined the army. He joined uh, and was based in Collins's barracks. Uh, and and actually boxed for the army as well as like you know so, but he was much bigger lad than me because when he went back to Cork, um, and he wanted to join the army, he he was like six foot one and a half, six foot two, and 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 about um, thirteen stone, um, whereas like you know I was five foot six and you know ten and a half stones. Yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna ask. All right, what weight did you compete at as a boxer yourself? As a boxer, I, I started at five stone four, and I ended up as as a welter, come light welter. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, as an immigrant, as an immigrant yourself, you understand, I suppose, the struggles that these young kids who come to your gym are going through in their daily lives. And as someone who came from Cork in the wartime, you know, you probably already had a natural affinity with the people that you've met in like over half a century working in Birmingham. Yes, I have. Yes. Um, a lot of people that come from Ireland and whatever, you know, um, I'm the only one within my family, um, who, who, who actually speaks with a, a Birmingham accent, you know, all the rest, like, you know, all speak or, and when I when I first got married, my wife couldn't understand uh, my father's uh, <laughs> couldn't understand him talking. Like, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but um, when I first got married, my father wasn't very happy about it because I didn't marry an Irish girl. You know, and, and um, it was the other way around uh, with her family because. Uh, <laughs> Her father thought that uh, Irish men were only good for two things, drinking and making babies, you know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say fighting as well, and he probably had you pegged right there. So, um. oh, well, no, he didn't. He, he, he didn't uh, go down that avenue, but that was that was his... Uh, Your story. So you, you, you married Anita and you've got three children. So Anita's an English girl. Is she from Birmingham as well? or? Oh, yeah, she was born in Birmingham, like, and uh, on her parents. Um, uh, see, my wife was actually born in a pub. Um, her father, you know, managed uh, homes around Birmingham for many years, like, you know. Um, one of the pubs he, he he ran was a pub called the Granville, which is was on Broad Street and Granville Street, you know. So, like, um, and that's where my wife was born. Okay. And uh, both my wife and I, neither of us drink. You know, uh, especially considering, like you know, um, she was born in the pub. Yeah, and, uh, and she, she, father, she saw early. Oh, a father, um, the way he could drink, he was like throwing it down the drain. You know, uh, 
there's probably a story in there as well. You know, one rejects what one sees at an early age. Your story, your story, Frank, reminds me almost of uh, Brendan Ingalls. You know, he he's of a similar age to you, and he he left he left Ireland for Britain and established like a dynasty, like a fifty year plus establishment, an institution in British boxing. And he married an English girl, and he had problems with her family as well around the time of the wedding. So I assume you guys were colleagues. You knew each other well. Brendan and I were very, very good friends. And, you know, we remained friends until he died. Now his wife, um, Alma, uh, Alma, she she was an absolute lovely, lovely woman. You know, um, they were well suited and, and well got together. Um, Brendan actually um, loved the amateurs. And he had a, a club called... Um, uh, St. Thomas's in Winkerbank in 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 Sheffield. Um, and Brendan and I were very, very good friends. At one time, um, <clears throat> I brought a, a guy over from Italy called Stephen Klaus. Now, Stephen Klaus was the number one coach in the world for... Um, the Olympic Solidarity Committee. Now, Steve was based in Italy. He originally came from um, ooh, Hungary, originally came from, and uh, his family emigrated to um, America in when he was 10 years old. Uh, but shortly after they, they moved to America, his father died. And his mother brought him and his brothers up, you know. Now, Steve uh, was a boxer, had 64 amateur fights, but then he got Ernie trouble and uh, he went into refereeing and, and judging. And from there, uh, he, he tried to make a comeback into boxing and had a double earlier. And uh, that put him out of business, like, as a boxer. And he became a trainer, but he became one of the top in the world. So in 1932, um, he actually um, had an Olympic champion um, that was sent over from, from Hungary uh, for him to train and whatever. And, and, and of course, um, he then sort of... Um, came back to, to Hungary and um, you in the middle of 30s, he actually took over as manager for a, a European team to go and box against the Golden Globes team in America, was very, very successful and then stayed in America and became a top coach. He was trading a fella who... who who was supposed to lose, uh, but Steve didn't do that. So the, the guy um, knocked out his opponent and um, they had to put Steve into hiding and, and they found a boat and he went back to um, his home hometown. In, and then uh, from there he, he, he sort of developed and... Um, 
the Italians took him aboard and, uh, you know, he trained all the top lads around. In Italy, you could be both a professional and an amateur and train both, and Steve did. And and during the period, he had several Olympians, you know, gold medalists, but he also had trained seven world champions in the oh. professionals. But then um, <clears throat> during the war, uh, when the war started, Mussolini's son, who was in the Italian boxing team, he actually took Steve Klaus and put him in the Vatican, you know, um, for the for the war. And uh, and during the war, um, of course, like you know, he stayed in the Vatican. But when he came out, he, he then worked for the uh, um, the uh, Olympic Solidarity. Uh, was was actually based in Italy, um, and he he actually went and trained the Cubans and the um, others. Now Steve came to me in 1978 um, to do a week's training with us. You know, uh, I'd started uh, the uh, Trainers Association, Midland Counties Trainers Association. I invited, um, I met Steve in funny places up in Belfast. He was over doing a course, one one in Ireland, uh, well, two in Ireland, one in the north and one in the south. But I met him in the, 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 the north um, in the, it was 1970 when I first met him um, and I took a team over to Jerry Story. Um, it was the first team to go over there after the troubles of '69, you know. Yeah. And uh, and we boxed there. We boxed uh, both in the Ardine, and we we also boxed, you know, uh, in the Shankill. So you know, we had two shows, and we're well looked after by you know both parties and. Uh, and I say I met Steve on that. I went to a, a course he was doing on the weekend and thoroughly enjoyed it. And of course, I invited him to, to come to us. You know, that actually had to go back to the um, England boxing because at the time, Kevin Hickey, who was the national coach, um, he objected to it. And uh, because he objected to it, um, it, we couldn't have Steve. However, when I told the Lynch brothers this, like, you know, um, they decided, bring Steve over, we'll pay for him. So they paid for his hotel and they paid for, you know, whatever the expenses were, thankfully, because they, they had a company called Linden Scaffolding, which became, you know, and and... And they actually came back into boxing um, because boxing had been good to them. They were a, a poor Dublin family, so when they came over and, you know, they they lived in a, a poor area of the town and 
and whatever, and because boxing was good to them and what, what they'd received from boxing, they want to put something back, you know. And, um, and of course, they paid for Steve. Well, Brendan Ingle came down and um, he brought his number one boxer down with him. No, not, not Nazim, <laughs> the, the middleweight. Bomber. Yeah, Bomber. Brought yeah. Bomber down. Now, we were training in our gym, uh, or going to train in the gym, but when Bomber came down, Steve wouldn't let Bomber in because Bomber was a boxer. He only said, coach is in, and that's it. And uh, Brendan came. Now, Brendan travelled down every day from, uh, you know, Sheffield, um, to have tuition from um, from Steve Klaus, and he picked up he picked up a lot. Oh yeah, well, all the um, markings on the floor and all the you know the the things that are on the floor, you know, that was Steve Klaus. So Brendan picked that up from Steve, uh, and Brendan put it all into action uh, when he got back to Sheffield, you know. Do you think that, um, do you think that as, as kind of young immigrants, do you think that your experience and maybe Brendan Ingle's experience helped you when it came to, you know, welcoming young guys into the, into the club? Cause the nature of immigration to Britain has changed. It, you know, went from primarily Irish, I think like 75% of Irish immigrants in the fifties went to Britain. And so we, we, flooded the country almost. But as things changed and demographics changed, it became kind of Asian boys and African boys. Do you think your experience and Brendan's experience helped you in that you knew who these people were? I mean, you came from completely different backgrounds, but you knew who these kids were as they came through your doors. Without a doubt, you know, uh, it, it did help us. And, and the upbringing that we had in Ireland certainly stuck with us, like, you know, because, um, you know, I lived in North Abbey Street and just across the, the bridge, the North Cay Bridge. Then you had uh, Grattan Street, and you know, which was a very, very poor area and whatever, uh, with people all blended together and helped each other. And, and that was a sort of something that we picked up ourselves and decided, you know, that was the avenue we went down as part of our upbringing. Fortunately, yeah, because I've seen obviously there's very famous um, stories about Brendan sending his boxers out to pick up litter, and likewise I've seen kids from your Birmingham City gym going out like cleaning up churchyards and and doing other community projects as well to better the area and better themselves. Well, you know, to um, what we're trying to do, and especially in the area where our gym is now. We're trying to, come, uh, you know, um, try and make unity within the community, and and hopefully, you know, that'll go down. That goes down well. Uh, it's like the the church that we um, rent our building from. You know, um, it's an Anglo-Catholic church. Now, if you get Muslims going out and, you know, um, different races going out and they're cleaning up the front of your church and cleaning up around the sides and, you know, um, 
then some of the people there couldn't understand that, you know. Uh, but it created, with the church and us, it created um, a, a kind of family thing. And, and the church couldn't do enough for us and we couldn't do enough for the church. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, um, it's, it's like young Yafai now. You know, he won the, the Olympics, so we signed some gloves. But he signed a glove and I gave them to the church, you know, and I gave them to the church so they could auction it and whatever and raise a, a little bit of money for their, their their own devices, like, you know? Yeah. That's great. It's great to hear that stuff like that. And um, I'll fly through some of your highlights because you've got such a you got such a long and story career in boxing. Um, like you received an MBE in 2012 for your services to the sport. And I think people started calling you Sir Frank afterwards to bring us back yeah. to Sir Alf. That started with, with uh, Michael O'Brien and Timmy O'Sullivan, like, you know, um, sort of going back to the Celtic Box Cup in, in Dungarvan. Right. And they, they actually came up and, and gave me a plaque. Uh, but the plaque was to Sir Frank, not, yeah. <laughs> not <laughs> Frank of an MBE, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's because uh, yeah. that, that Corkwood never goes. Yeah, you got the BBC Midlands Unsung Hero Award in 2017. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I've, we've had lots of awards around, like you know, from different organisations and whatever. Um, but we never, well, being a Corkman, like, you know, uh, we don't boast about things like that. No, I can tell your modesty because I asked you a few questions about yourself earlier on and you answered, oh, well, Max McCracken did this and all, because I can tell you're already, you're absolutely all about the boxers. You, you were in a video I watched the other night, uh, which was produced by UB40. It was all about the benefits of amateur boxing. Do you remember that one? Yes, I do. See, um, Brian, uh, Brian, he used to pay the facts. Um, he actually... Uh, was a schoolboy boxer for me and he missed time when he came and when he came into the gym I said hello enjoy your holiday son and he goes well I've been on holiday I'm, you know um, doing band practice I said well um, you can stay tonight son and uh, if you decide on band practice then don't bother coming back here and Ten years down the line, this young man comes in and said, "Hello, Frank. Um, I wonder if you'd remember me." And I said to him, "Well, how can I not remember you with that hair coloring you have?" And name, uh, you know. Um, well, Brian actually, his father uh, came from Dublin. Okay. And um, and of course, he he said. Uh, is it possible that we could use the gym and we'll bung you a few quid? Uh, um, we want to make a video and whatever. So I said to him, well, um, after talking and sorting out the thing, I said, oh, by the way, what's the name of your group? And he said, you be 40. Uh, didn't ring a bell with me. <laughs> no. um, so when I came home, my oldest daughter, Julia, who was 15 at the time, I said to her, Jules, have you 
ever heard of a group called UB40? She said, oh, yes, Dad, I have. They're great. They're top of the pops at the moment. And, of course, they were, like, with red, red wine. And uh, they, they came and, and made the video uh, called um, Labour of Love One, and it was a huge success. Uh, so because of that, then we built up a, 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 a reputation between us. And uh, they made several little films, you know, and, and they actually... Uh, Brian actually sorted out making a film, uh, an advertising film for us, like, you know, uh, in the gym with the lads sparring and um, running outside and doing various things. And um, we put that on, on you know. Yeah, so I watched one of them the other night with, um, with Nigel Ben and a few others as well, Pat Cowden yeah. and stuff like that. So it was very good. And most, uh, if listeners can find that on YouTube, if you want to, if you're interested. And um, as well as that, you trained the first female a- uh, ABA champion. That's right. A, a girl called Tina Odell. Um, she actually, um, when she came, first of all, I'm like most in my age group. We weren't interested in women boxers. So a couple of girls came the one time, a couple of traveling girls actually, and uh, they they wanted to join. And I said, I'm sorry, girls. Um, I haven't got the air, so, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not training women. So um, the one, you know, got a little bit nasty and started swearing at me like, you know, and she says, have you ever got something against women? And I said, no, I married one love. And that set her off. Oh, she went berserk. Anyway, they went out. And very, very shortly afterwards, I had a letter from um, a female group. And I also had a letter from England Boxing saying that, you know, women were allowed and under them circumstances. Um, then I've got to allow women in. And uh, this guy came to me, a guy called Craig O'Dell, and uh, he said, I've just come down, mate. He said, uh, yeah, uh, check about women boxers. He said, uh, the wife wants to be a boxer, and, you know, she's done a bit of kickboxing, but uh, she doesn't like that, and... She feels as though she wants to do boxing. So I said, yes, I'll, I'll take her. And, well, Tina at the time was 23 years old, you know. And um, she came in and actually um, took to it like a fish to water. And uh, from there on in, you know, she gradually got better and became the first ever to win an ABA female title. She, she changed her mind with her ability, I suppose, and attitude. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. So, uh, again, now, see, Tina and I are both friends. And and um, in November, we've got two teams coming over from um, Monster. So we're boxing against Monster ABA. Um, so she's got one show and I've got another. You know, I do the dinner show and she's doing an open show 
uh, and we we were amalgamated. Uh, firstly, because she's got no uh, idea how to run a dinner show and what, and she had me experience. Uh, and by marrying up like that, then we've still blended together and she still comes to the, the gym and, you know, whatever. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. As well as um, being such a successful club coach, and uh, you've worn many hats in amateur boxing, you, you've worked with uh, England as well. So an Irishman in charge of the England, uh, was it the schoolboys, but also various other roles? So you've worked with like the likes of Frank well, Bruno, Ricky Hatton, Amir yeah. Khan with England. Yeah, well, um, I was director of coaching for England schools for 10 years. And the funny part about it is, was that in them 10 years, when we boxed abroad, we never lost a match. And bearing in mind that we, we went three times to Russia during that, you know, um, South Africa. We were first into South Africa in 1998 when they first lifted the party, you know. Um, but we lost matches at home, on home matches, on home ground, by virtue of the fact that... Um, where we were in charge ourselves when we went abroad, when I brought it home, I felt that coaches should have the opportunities of, of an international level, especially with their own boys being in the corner. Um, some of them, you know, um, just wanted to help in the corner while others, you know, felt great moving in on the spot, you know. Yeah, and I, probably got in the way of it. Uh, yeah, you know, so, you know. But looking at that, it was probably the only thing, again, looking at people, the only opportunities they had of ever, you know, boxing in the, you know, or being part of an international boxing match. Which um, which kids stand out, I suppose, the, these years later? Like, obviously, like Frank Bruno would have been a magnificent um, prospect and went on to have such a career and like Ricky Hatton, Amir Khan. Amir Khan was one of the most 
brilliant amateur boxers I've ever seen, I suppose. Um, but there's probably well, so many more. Amir Khan um, had his first international in Dungarvan. And the kid he boxed um, it was a kid from um, Phoenix. Um, and um, Amir stopped him in, in the second round. And, and uh, the, the lad actually, where Amir stayed close to the weight he was, the other lad became a heavyweight and, and actually boxed for for Ireland a few times. Oh, really? I'll have to track his, this guy's name down now. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just trying to think of his name now. Was, oh, I think if you contact, if you contact uh, Tony... Davis. Uh, David. Tony yeah. One of Tony David's boys. We had Tony David on the show a few weeks ago, so I'll send you a link to that episode as well, Frank. It was uh, most enjoyable. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tony and I go back a long way. Tony's brother, you know, uh, and I go back a long way. Like Brendan Ingle. Brendan Ingle's brother, Jimmy, he came over here and, and lived in, in Luton. Now, when Jimmy lived in Luton, um, you know, uh, he had a club called Luton Irish. Now, Jimmy used to bring his boxers up here to me in Birmingham, and I've gone down to Jimmy, you know, um, as well as dealing with Brendan, like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy would have self-published his own book. A great, a tremendous boxer. Uh, European champion, 1939 as well. So what a, what a story in boxing yeah. Jimmy Ingle had. That was a flyweight, but he ended up a middleweight. Yeah. A, a small middleweight, like probably overmatched. That's where, where he got the fights. I think he fought a lot in Tolka Park and stuff like that during the war. And he, he had an interesting, a brilliant career. Interesting, anyway. Yeah. To say the least. Did you know Frank Bruno would go all the way? Did you? I could... Was what was he like? Uh, such a great personality. Many struggles in boxing since. When when Fran Bruno first came, it was 1978, and we boxed in in Germany. Um, now Frank won his first fight. He stopped his kid. So um, we were due to to box on a Sunday afternoon in the second one, but on the Saturday night, the night before the uh, the bout. Um, we were uh, watching a, a basketball match, you know, um, and uh, Frank came to me and he said, Governor, I can't box tomorrow. Um, you know, my eye is bad and this is bad and, you know. So I just said to him, Frank, this is not a club show, son. You are here representing your country. And as such, the doctor has found you fit. You've been medical not so long ago. The doctor's found you fit. So get it into your head, son. You're boxing tomorrow. I went to my mumbling and whatever. Anyway, on the Sunday, um, he boxed and he stopped the kid. And when they lifted his arm, he ran over and grabbed me in the corner and kissed me on the forehead and said, thank you, Frankie, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was like, that was 
Frank Bruno, like, you know, um, wasn't very intelligent in them days compared to what he is now, you know. Mm. Uh, he used to talk a lot of dribble in them days, but, you know, he, he developed and, you know, he's, he's, he's very entertaining now. Yeah, I think most people say Muhammad Ali put them, made them fall in love with boxing. People around my age or maybe a bit older, but Frank Bruno for me, because he was on television and he had such an engaging personality and his fights were enjoyable as well. So I'd say Frank Bruno's the one for me. Yeah, yeah, he was a nice, ever since a nice kid. You know, like that was in the, like this December that we went to East Germany in 78. And the following, uh, the following year, he actually won the ABAs, um, and and then you know he's, he's, he's went on from there, like you know, um, with Mickey Doff and and. Uh, Were you never tempted, given all the links you'd forged and and how you knew how to motivate fighters and get them on the straight and narrow? So maybe kids who'd never boxed before, you know how to make them because that's the greatest accolade. That's the greatest thing a coach I think can achieve in boxing. Taking a kid who's never boxed before and making him champion of his country. That's the real, that's the real coaching. That's the real deal. So were you never tempted to maybe bring your skills across to the professional ranks, maybe where someone maybe just needed a bit of guidance, a bit of the right road. And you knew you could have maybe made the big books, maybe made 10% of those million dollar purses in Las Vegas or whatever was, was that not on the cards or is that just something that you didn't fancy at all? Well, I didn't, uh, but then, um, you know, uh, and, uh, who was a very, very good friend of mine, like, you know, uh, uh, became a promoter in, in boxing here in Birmingham uh, to a very high scale. And uh, Johnny Prescott, uh, who you probably remember as a heavyweight, um, well, Johnny Prescott became his trainer, uh, sorry, became his manager uh, for the boxers. And they wanted me to go in as trainer. I was going to, but then. Um, they sort of brought the Lynch brother. We had a meeting and they brought the Lynch brothers in. Uh, Tommy wasn't that interested, but him and Paddy uh, were not only brothers, but also best mates. Um, and uh, they brought them in with the idea of if they got people um, boxing for championships, then, you know, they would help with the sponsorship. However, Paddy, in his wisdom, decided he wanted to become a trainer and whatever and become part of it. Um, so I backed down and stayed where I was. A lot of people say, don't you regret it? Like all the money that, you know, the likes of Robert McCracken and some of the others have made. Um, you could have probably been part of that. But I don't regret it. I, you know, I've enjoyed what I've done. I've, I've been around the world. I've seen everywhere. Um, you know, so on that basis, like, you know, it's been a good life. I've had a good wife who's, who's given me all the support um, that I needed and whatever, you know. And uh, and that's basically it, really. Yeah. A, a good decision and it came full circle this summer when obviously Gal Ali Afoy won that Olympic gold medal the ultimate crowning glory for a boxing coach yeah, 
We we we've actually um, won everything. We've medaled in everything from from um, or in every in the world, you know. Mm. Uh, so on that basis, like you know, uh, um, because we've meddled at everything, then you know it, it, it's it's been a great uh, been a great journey. Well, I was just going to say you've achieved. It's something that money can't buy. But then I just read in midweek the uh, the McLaren report on uh, corruption at the 2016 Olympics and and before. So maybe I won't go there. But um, yeah, it's like your wife Anita was a bit of a boxing widow. Like she wasn't really interested in the sport, but oh. Gala was Gala got her interested, and she was putting aside money to go to Tokyo. Unfortunately, yeah. it didn't come about. But you know, I'm sure you guys enjoyed watching the fight together. Oh God, yeah, without without a doubt. Now on the thirteenth of November, when we've got this big dinner show coming off um, against Monster, then uh, the Afi family have actually got a table, you know, um, and my wife is coming to that, basically because Galal's going. <laughs> <laughs> the best, yeah. And you kept him. You kept him in boxing when he when he almost went and left the job for or remained in Land Rover and packed into boxing. Yeah, well, yes. Um, he just came to me and said, "Look, Frank, you know, I've got a good job at the moment. You know, uh, at that particular time, he was working shift work, and and he was quite happy. But the wage he had was, you know, um, quite." quite large compared to, to 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 most and on that basis like you know he he just came to me and, and said like he was thinking of packing up boxing to concentrate on his job and whatever and um what did i think about it like you know and uh, because we become quite close obviously and and um lads tell you things especially when you don't disclose them to other people. Lads tell you things that they ordinarily wouldn't, you know, uh, because they trust you, you know. Um, And also, you know, because of that, the the judgment as well as, you know. um, And I just, I sat down on the chair and he stood up and I just held his hand and said, look, son, you know, at this point in time, um, you've got nobody relying on you to support them in any way or form. Um, you know, you, you've um, ten years down the line. When you look at it, you'd be looking back and thinking, "Well, what could I have achieved if only?" And I said, "Like, really, um, if you give it a go now." You know, if it doesn't materialize, then you've got the rest of your life to pick up where you left off. Um, so if I were you, I wish the talent is there. Give it a little bit more of a go and uh, we'll see how we go from there. And that's what he did. But in the meantime, I went and saw um, the top people at, at Land Rover explained the situation to them and lo and behold they in their wisdom uh, decided to give him um 12 months that they would hold his job for him 
uh, if he didn't sort of, you know, if, if nothing materialised, then, you know, he, he just could go back to his job, no problem. But they also sponsored him. Apparently, they they had a, a, a sort of setup um, within their company uh, that they they sponsored people from you know various areas, you know, um, and uh, it all moved on from there. Then that was like twenty fifteen. Uh, then Yalal actually. Um, Got called up for for England uh, boxing development squad for a trial. Went there and and did extremely well, but we never heard from them. You know, uh, so a few months went by, and then uh, in um, the end of August, twenty fifteen. They were looking for somebody, um, a Southpaw, for, for, to give Nicola Adams a, a move around because she was boxing a girl called Mary, Mary Cuff from, from India. Uh, Mary had, had, had won several world championships. And, uh, and of course, Cal Yafai, who, who was training with Robert up at, at Sheffield, he said, oh, I've got a brother who's a sad poor and he's quite light. He'll, he'll give her a good go, you know. And, uh, and of course, when Galal went up there, uh, not only did he give her a, a fight, but he also gave her a fright. And uh, Robert McCracken, in his wisdom and knowledge, looked at what was in front of him and decided to bring him straight into the podium team. Now, between then, between September and, and Christmas, Yalal uh, took part in three multinations in various parts of Europe and won gold and all three. Uh, he then went to, um, <coughs> he then went to Rio. They were having a, 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 um, a trial run for the Olympics in Rio, and he went, and he come back with a bronze medal from there. Uh, and then they had a um, tournament for uh, those to qualify for the, the Olympics uh, in Rio uh, in Europe, and uh, he went there. And not only... Did he qualify? But he qualified getting gold again, you know. In Rio, he lost in the um, quarterfinals, so he didn't medal. He lost to the Cuban in the final, uh, but then came back and, and of course, you know, um, and then uh, after qualifying, you know, for the he qualified again, and after he qualified for that, then you know it, it was was great. You know? The rest is the rest is history. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Once an Olympian, always an Olympian, but forever a champion. Um, Frank, I think we've reached nearly the end of the road here. I think uh, I want to congratulate you on being named um, 
Is it Cork Boxing Personality of the Year for 2021? That must have been a big honour. Oh, very, very much so. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to going to Cork and, you know, and um, especially for family and, you know, um, and friends who still live in Cork, like, you know. Um, it's their honour as well as ours, like you say, you know. So yeah. is it like in the family, you know. And as well, yeah, for every kid you've coached along the way. I have a request to make of you before we go. And I don't know if you'd be up for it, but uh, I said I'll ask you anyway. I believe you wrote a poem a few years ago called The, Bo- the Boxing Alphabet. Yes, I have, yeah. Would you have it to hand and would you like to read it out? Okay, it's, it's called The Boxing Alphabet. A is for accuracy. First lesson to heed. Know just what you're aiming at each time you lead. B stands for balance, both feet on the floor. It's balance that counts when you lead to the jaw. C is for circling, exerting your must to your right, to his right, makes you bite the dust. D is for defense, with your cushion in place to cover the wind and the ribs and the face. E stands for eyes. Watch your man eye to eye. Unceasing like a spider. That's after a fly. F is for footwork. Attack or defense. To good solid base. You must always attend. G stands for grit. That you need in the ring, stick out and don't show what his punches have sting. H is for handshake at the start of the match. Be sporting, shake heartily, not just a snatch. I is for interval, seconds, three scores. Relax and breathe deeply, then be ready for more. J is for judgment, that has him at sea, not sure what your next little move is going to be. K is for knockout, beloved by the pros, we're after points that the judge's car scores. L is for loser, still smiling and bright, you've lost, never mind, for you've put up a fight. M is for the mind that most must work out a plan that feet and hands execute beating your man. N is for nose that when it hits starts to bleed. No, so next time your guard must be moved up with more speed. O is for opening that you've got to make for lead or for counter that makes that makes no mistakes. P is for points that you try to collect with straight left and rights that are time to connect. Q is for quickness of hand, foot and eye, and mind of all the three, the direction alive. R is for the right, your defense to arrange, whether in with the left, 
it attacks for a change. S is for science, for fading the game. You're boxing, not fighting. They ain't quite the same. T is for training, forever one round. You won't stand that pace if your win's not sound. U is for upsetting the tactics applied. Result, your opponent's attack has gone wide. V is for the verdict you take with a smile on winning or losing. The match was worthwhile. W, weakness you're going to find in his his opposition would watch for a blind. X is for XL, a motive that's pure, that one thing to aim for, that's for sure. Y stands for youth. Now the times to apply, the training of character, and the years fly. Z is for zeal that I hope you will show. The game asks and gives all the best that you know. Franco Sullivan, it has been an honor, like I say, and a, and a privilege and a pleasure to listen to your story today for the time that you've given us. And uh, I wish you all the best as you continue to craft champions over at Birmingham City Boxing Club. Okay, thank you very much, sir. Much obliged. Thank you. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 